Good morning. Good morning. I'm not sure how many people will be here this morning. This is the faithful remnant. Between an hour less of sleep and shoveling all that snow, you managed to get here. That's impressive. Yeah, the weather around here. At least we didn't call off church. You know, with the impending, you know, apocalyptic storm that was coming. Unlike Milligan College, I'm looking to see if our friends across town at BTSU are here. Uh, if you, you probably heard a week before last, the, the schools were closed, science was closed, middle of the afternoon because of an impending thunderstorm. And then ETSU closed. I'm getting ready to have my three hour, three hour once a week Wednesday afternoon seminar. I'm half an hour in and my students start getting this message on their phone saying, class is canceled. It's like, well, no, it's not actually. We're not going in. And I, I called later and so said, like, what was that about? And it's like, well, ETSU closed. Then all these parents from out of the country start freaking out, calling the switchboard, calling the president saying, why is Milligan still in class? Everyone else is closed. So we closed. It's like, I've been there for 25 years. We've never closed for rain. It was the wind. Oh, well, we closed for wind. Yeah, I know, I know. I know. We did get a couple claps of thunder. It was scary. Right. Were your students disappointed? Um, well, I don't know. I didn't ask them. I don't really care if they're disappointed. At least they didn't have to ask for a refund. So, I'm glad you made it through the snow. Uh, and here we are, trying to figure out uh, what really matters. Uh, week, week two. Yeah. Week two of Lent. And um, as you were here last week, you know, or the week before, we're, we're trying to follow uh, the lead of our, our, our ministers and pastors here. Um, they've asked us if we'd be willing to uh, take up some of the topics that are being discussed in this new series that the church is taking up in life called What Really Matters. Uh, last week, Mark threw me a curveball because he didn't really talk about it. <laughs> this week, he picked a, a scripture passage that's nowhere mentioned in the chapter. I had no idea what he said. <laughs> so I was listening very attentively this morning thinking, what is he going to preach this morning? Because there's like no clue. <laughs> so... Uh, I'm having lunch, I'm having breakfast with him on Thursday, we're gonna have a little chat. It's like, uh, next time you ask me to do this, uh, give me some help. So, uh, but I think we're okay. Um, I, I tried to guess what I thought he was gonna do and I wasn't too far off. So, um, the title that he had, part of it threw me was the title. I, um, I don't know whose title this was, I don't wanna blame Mark for it. Uh, the title for today's sermon is, Does It Matter What You Decide to Be? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, 
I think I might have titled it, Does It Matter Who You Think You Are? Maybe. I don't think so. I have seen the titles for seven weeks. Okay, let's get on with it. Um, does it matter who you think you are? Um, which could also go all kinds of fun ways. But the passage we're going to look at um, is Acts chapter 8. And it's what a lot of us know as the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, I hope as we, I've had a lot of fun looking at this passage this week. Um, I saw some things in there that I hadn't seen before. It's always fun. It's, scripture is inexhaustible. It's one of the things that's so fun about studying it, reading it. Um, you can read it, you know, once a week, the same passage for a year, and you'll see something different. Because um, you're different, or you're in a different place, or... Uh, the setting is different, or your context are different, or the questions you're thinking about are different. And so, um, I'm always surprised and delighted uh, when Scripture surprises. And it did surprise this week as I was uh, trying to figure out, trying to anticipate uh, what, Mike, what Mark might be saying about this passage. And um, if you were in one of the services this morning, I have no idea what you heard if you were in the sanctuary service. Uh, I have some idea what you heard if you were in the journey service. Uh, but, but I think we're going to, we, we may go some places that Mark didn't go. So this is uh, Acts chapter 8. Let's, let's set the, give you the setting here. It's always challenging to just sort of jump into Acts uh, 8 chapters in. Um, you recall that the book of Acts is part 2 of Luke's Gospel. Right, it's always easy to forget that, right? Uh, the writer of the Gospel of Luke has kind of two parts. We forget that because we stick John in between them. Uh, but really, Acts is part two of Luke's uh, sort of account of the life of Jesus and the life of the early church. And so in the early part of Acts, of course, you have Jesus resurrecting, you have the day of Pentecost, uh, you have the church beginning to grow. And you remember at the very beginning of Acts, is that sort of uh, Jesus announcing that they are going to be witnesses um, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, these kind of concentric circles, right? So Jerusalem is home base, is sort of, yeah, it's the, it's the center of this growing movement. So Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. So there's sort of concentric circles that this, this message, this witness is going to move out from Jerusalem. And you recall in, in chapter 6 of Acts, there's a little bit of uh, squabbling uh, because uh, some of the the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews, uh, their, their widows apparently are being uh, ignored in the, the daily distribution of food. And uh, so you have the sort of Jewish Jews, like the really like full-bred, you know, Hebrew-speaking, Aramaic-reading, you know, 
all the way back to Abraham Jews, got, got your card-carrying Jew, those Jews. And then you have the Jews who were part of the diaspora, um, who learned Greek. Um, and you, you see, even in this early church, there's this kind of ethnic split, right, between they're, they're, they all consider themselves to be Jews. They're all Jews, but they, they speak different native languages. And some of them are feeling slighted. And so the apostles wisely set aside uh, some, some men who are Greek-speaking, uh, what we often call the early deacons of the church, um, one of whom is Stephen, you recall Stephen, and one of them is Philip. Um, and Stephen, as you know, shortly thereafter, uh, gets in trouble for speaking the truth. Speaking the truth will often get you in trouble. Um, and he's martyred. And that sends the early church scattering from Jerusalem. Because it's really clear, it was clear before, but it's certainly clear now that being a follower of Jesus isn't safe. And so Philip is scattered and he goes down into Samaria, one of these concentric circles, and, and he has a fairly successful ministry there. Uh, in chapter seven, uh, he has this encounter, uh, actually beginning of chapter eight, he has this encounter uh, with a magician, Simon the magician, uh, who's really impressed that the, the apostles can lay their hands on people and the gift of the Holy Spirit can be given. And Simon's like, I want some of that. And uh, he has to be rebuked. They bring the apostles. Um, but you need to know that, that Philip, I mean, he's having this six, relatively successful ministry in Samaria. But he, you also have to understand that he's, he's on what we call the, he's, kind of, he's sort of like the B team, right? I mean, he's not one of the apostles. Um, so yeah, he's on the practice squad. Um, people often uh, forget this. I mean, you can you can mistake him for the the Philip who's the apostle, but but they got the same name. But that's but that's the end. He he's not. This is not Philip the apostle. This is Philip, uh, the Greek uh, deacon, and so he's on the B team. But you know he's doing it, doing okay. Um, but he's in Samaria. And then later in chapter 8, we pick up this story that's very familiar to you, where, where Philip is pulled away from where he was to do something very different. So let's read the story, and then we'll comment on it and see what, if anything, it has to do with, uh, does it matter who, what you decide to be or who you are. Then an angel of, this is verse 26 of chapter 8, if you're following along. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace 
queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he asked, do you understand what you're reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. This is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 53. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Does it matter who you think you are? First thing to be clear about, we know a little bit about Philip. We just said a little bit about him. Let's say a little bit about what we think we can know about the two other main actors here. Um, the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, the Ethiopian Ethiopia at this point is not strictly identical with the Ethiopia that you and I know, although it's not too far off. It's a, it's a larger area than the country of Ethiopia. Um, certainly um, south of the Nile, that part of the African continent. And he's a court official, right, of the, the queen of Ethiopia. He's in charge of her treasury, so he's a big deal. Um, in fact, it's kind of shocking to think, but it's apparently a God-fearer, at least. Um, God-fearers were people who were uh, likely uh, Gentiles, um, but who who were seeking God and were very much taken with the God of Abraham. And so he seems to be a God-fearer, and he has gone from uh, the African subcontinent up to Jerusalem to worship. No small 
And this is, you know, this, there was no, I mean, couldn't catch the morning, you know, shuttle, you know. Uh, this is quite, and he's, he's a big deal. He's not, even though the story makes it sound like he's traveling by himself, he's clearly not. I mean, he's got his own entourage, right? I mean, it's not like he's just gets in his chariot and decides to travel for several weeks to Jerusalem on his own. No, I mean, he's got his entourage. Uh, he's gone to Jerusalem as a God-fearer. Um, he's clearly well-educated. He can read. Uh, the most perplexing thing about the passage is where the heck did he get an Isaiah scroll? I mean, you just can't go pick one of those up. I mean, a synagogue would be, I mean, a, a temple would, I mean, they're lucky to have a whole set. I mean, it would take somebody a year just to copy the prophet Isaiah onto a scroll. So again, you can't like order one. Like, how did he get one? Um, it, that's, it's, it, we have no idea how he has one. Um, Philip has to be kind of surprised. Um, it's not clear that Philip had ever seen one outside of, you know, a, a setting. It's not, it's not something people had. We, we kind of take this for granted, you know. A lot of us have 43 Bibles at home. Right? You don't even know. You, you just bump into them when you're dusted. It's like, I've got to have that one. You know? But, no, he's got an Isaiah scroll. Um, so he's, he's wealthy. Um, he's, he's, he's a powerful person. Um, he's a God-fearer. And he's a eunuch. Now, eunuch is a title that could be used for lots of different things. Sometimes just court officials were called eunuchs, but the reason they were called eunuchs is because often they actually were eunuchs. Uh, they had been, uh, particularly when they're serving uh, queens, so they're castrated. Yes, ouch. Yeah, but there's fewer opportunities for scandal with this arrangement, as you might imagine. So the issue with that, among other things, is um, the Jewish law is pretty clear in, in Deuteronomy uh, 23, verse 1, uh, that eunuchs um, are, do not have, cannot have a full part in the people of God. Uh, they're not even allowed a full part in temple worship. Um, the best he could have hoped for, being both a Gentile and a eunuch, was to be in the outer court of the Gentiles at the temple. That's the best he could have hoped for. Um, again, it's partly that you have to remember that to be a Jew is everything about your lineage. And if you're a eunuch, you're not going to have any lineage. Okay? And so there's no way you can sort of pass on your Jewishness 
So, so, the, so the fact that he still, as a Gentile and a eunuch, makes the effort to go to Jerusalem to worship is even the more extraordinary. He is seeking God fervently. And so those things are interesting. The other obvious actor is the Holy Spirit. You recall when we studied the book of Acts, you know, often in your Bible it'll say the Acts of the Apostles, but we said it probably should be named the Acts of the Holy Spirit to which the Apostles are trying to catch up. That's a little clumsy as a title, right? But that's more accurate, right? The Acts of the Holy Spirit to which the Apostles and even the deacons, as it turns out in today's passage, are trying to catch up. And so the passage actually begins, if you were paying attention, and I know that you were, in verse 26, it says, Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, So the angel, it's interesting here that part of the passage identifies this divine agency as the Spirit, but it begins with the angel of the Lord, which harkens back to uh, the angel of the Lord is mentioned in the New Testament too. It's interesting, in, in the book of Acts, the angel of the Lord is almost always someone who's releasing someone from oppression. Um, often it's the angel of the Lord who comes and opens up the, the prison uh, gates, right? The, the prison, uh, the prisoners, when the apostles are in, in prison, opens up the gates for them, opens up their cells. Um, and I, I think... Luke's language here is not sloppy. I, I really think this passage is about liberating not just the Ethiopian eunuch from his oppression, but also Philip. I think this story is as much about the conversion of Philip as it is the one we call the Ethiopian eunuch. And that's what I think is interesting about this story that it's easy to miss because we so focus on the Ethiopian eunuch. In fact, if I were disciplined enough um, from, the, from now to the rest of the, the end of the story uh, this morning, I'd like us to stop calling him the Ethiopian eunuch because I think that's actually, now that we know that part of who he is, um, does it matter who you think you are? <laughs> Uh, yes, and I think that's actually the least interesting thing about him. I'd like us to call him the God-seeker whom God was seeking. The God-seeker whom God was seeking. Because what's extraordinary about this story is the lengths to which God goes to seek this man who is seeking God. We've already talked about the lengths to which this man is seeking God. <laughs> Extraordinary length to which this man is seeking God. But now, an angel of the Lord is going to take Philip, who's minding his own business, doing what he thought he was supposed to be doing in Samaria, and tell him to go down to this road out of Jerusalem on the way to Gaza. Because this, I mean, Philip doesn't know why he's to go there. 
just like go down there. And he's going to end up meeting this man who is leaving Jerusalem, heading back to Ethiopia with an Isaiah scroll. <laughs> right? Um, and so Philip does what he's asked to do and finds this man, and you have to imagine his surprise <coughs> when he comes across this entourage and as is the custom of the day, this man is reading out loud. I know all of us were taught that really advanced readers not only don't read aloud, you don't move your lips. Right? That shows you're really good. You know. You were taught early to read aloud to make sure you knew how to do it. But then, you know, you're in advanced elementary school when you can read without moving your lips. But that's not the way they read back then. Uh, you read aloud. And so he's reading aloud. And you can imagine Philip's surprise when he hears him reading Isaiah. That's crazy. And so what happens? Well, the Spirit says to Philip, go over to the chariot and join it. This was probably a stretch for Philip. He's on the B team. And, you know, he, he probably doesn't hang around with high court officials. Um, he's probably not dressed for the occasion. But he goes over. And what's interesting is from pretty much now on, this is something I'm not sure I'd noticed before, um, from now on, everything that, except for one short statement uh, by the God Seeker, uh, everything that's recorded that Philip and the God Seeker say to each other are questions. They ask each other questions. It's all we have recorded, except for one brief statement by this God seeker. So Philip gets to go first. Um, and he, his basic question is, do you get it? Like, do you understand what you're reading? He answers, God, the God seeker answers with a question. How am I supposed to understand? if someone doesn't help me. Okay, fair enough. Right. Um, I think before the story's ended, if we're listening, that same question, do you get it, is actually being asked of Philip in so many words. Like, do you really understand what's going on here? So he's reading this, this passage, right, from Isaiah 53, which it's a pretty good question that he asks. Right, he reads this passage from Isaiah 53, and 
the God seeker asks, now, now who is the writer writing about? Is he writing about himself? Is he writing about someone else? This is in this famous section of Isaiah that we sometimes call the, the suffering servant, um, which we as Christians um, quite naturally take to be about Jesus. Um, but it's been, I mean, it's interesting, the question that the God-seeker asks has been asked by, by scholars from the beginning. Um, some people thought that maybe the suffering servant is Israel. Maybe it was somebody else of that day who had been put upon. Um, which is not to say it doesn't find its fulfillment most fully in Jesus. But like when Isaiah was writing, I mean, this, this prophecy or this, these words made sense to people then. And the question was, who did they understand it to be? And that's what the very pretty perceptive God seekers asking, like, who's this about? This person who is suffering unjustly. And I have to, um, I couldn't help, uh, as I was reading this week, in a way that I hadn't really thought before, wonder if, if the God seeker doesn't in some small way identify with this suffering servant. Right? I mean, here he's, he's made this enormous effort to do, do the good and righteous thing as a God-fearer. He has made this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And he's pretty much treated as a second-class citizen, not a third-class citizen. Right? Pretty marginalized. Through no real fault of his own, he can't really help it. He's a Gentile. He, he, most of us don't have much choice about how we're born. Maybe you did. I didn't really have much choice. He didn't either. I don't know if he had a choice about being a eunuch. Not sure if it makes much difference at the end of the day. Um, so, yeah, there's that. So it makes, me, it makes me wonder if he's just kind of wondering, who, who is this that's being talked about? And then Luke just says, beginning with that passage, he explained the good news of Jesus Christ. I kind of wish we had, I'd be curious to know, you know, what all the dots were that Philip connected for him. But he must have connected quite a few dots, because before long, Surprisingly, in the wilderness, in the desert, they come across some water, which was rare. And again, this is, this is the, talking about the effort to which the Spirit is orchestrating here, this, this very unusual co coincidence, right? This providential meeting of Philip and this God-seeker. And now they come across water, and here we have the only exclamatory statement by either one. That's not a question. It's like, look, 
water. <laughs> it's not too controversial, right? So none of the statements are really controversial here, right? No one's telling somebody the way it is other than, look, water. Um, then it then goes back to question mode, right? Um, what's, what's to keep me from being baptized? Um, I don't know what Philip thought at that point. Um, I don't know if his immediate reaction was not a thing. Um, I, I don't know if he hesitated. Um, I mean, they're both, uh, I mean, Philip's a Jew, a Greek Jew, but he's a Jew. Um, he knows what Deuteronomy says. Um, but he also knows what we now know, and that is the train is coming. <laughs> yes. So we'll let the train pass. And while we're doing that, we'll flip back not to Isaiah 53, but to Isaiah 56 which would have also been in his Isaiah scroll, which is the prophet Isaiah imagining this new day that God is bringing. Remember, Isaiah is written after um, imagining what happens after exile. How is God going to restore Israel? Uh, how is God going to bring them back out of exile and restore their fortune? And one of the things Isaiah says in Isaiah, what we call Isaiah 56, of course, they wouldn't have had the chapters, just one big scroll. But he had this. He was holding these words, too. Do not let the, this is verse 3 in following. Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people, the foreigner, the outsider. So don't let the foreigner say, the one who's joined to the Lord, the one who follows the Sabbath, the one who's the God-seeker. Don't let him say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. The pun there is hard to miss. Right? Not an accident. Right? I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off and a name better than sons and daughters. That's also in that Isaiah scroll that he has. So I don't know, we don't have recorded what Philip's immediate response might have been to this, hey, look, water. Uh, what's to keep me from being part of this new people of God made possible by Jesus. What we do know is that 
they stopped the chariot. They both went out, got him to step down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And then Acts says that Philip was snatched away. Um, no explanation of that. It happens sometimes. There's kind of a miraculous appearance. An angel Lord sends him there. He's snatched away. Um, but the, the God seeker goes on rejoicing. And the tradition of the church is, even though we have no um, documented evidence of this from this period, but the tradition of the church is this is how the gospel gets to the continent of Africa. Uh, because there has been a thriving Ethiopian church from very, very early on. And this, and so this story of Philip and the B team uh, really is the first time that, that we see fulfilled what was talked about there in the first chapter of Acts, that the gospel would go to the ends of the earth. Because this, back in that day, that would have been pretty much the ends of the earth um, in their mind. And so, and it gets there um, because of this amazing orchestration by God of Philip, who is willing, even though he's on the B team, uh, to do something way out of his so-called comfort zone. But at the end of the day, what it ends up being is an encounter that's driven primarily by honest questions of each other. That's what we have recorded. We don't have, I mean, clearly there was some teaching that went on. Um, but this encounter is by honest questions. And perhaps what's most important to remember about this and why I want to call this court official the God seeker who God was seeking is because I think it reminds us in a powerful way that what we've been called to do, uh, we're members of the B team, by the way, in case you hadn't. Yeah, maybe the C team. Yeah, Q team, it's hard to say. It doesn't really matter what letter. Uh, we're not apostles. I'm not breaking that news to anybody here, okay? But that, that's apparently okay. It's apparently okay. Uh, the gospel seemed to manage uh, getting the gospel to the ends of the earth with B-team people like us. So that's good news. Um, but the other thing that's, that's striking here, uh, among other things, is that, that Philip is willing to be led by the Spirit He's willing to go somewhere he hadn't planned on going, but he's open enough just to ask questions. 
Yeah, but maybe the most important thing is, is this person is already seeking God. Philip is, I mean, God is already very much at work in this God-seeker's life. And so Philip is joining the work that's already begun. I mean, sometimes I think the, some of the anxiety, Mark talked a little bit uh, in the journey worship service about reminding us that we've added to the uh, our our vows as Methodists that you know we promised our witness and a lot of us I think get anxious about witness if we think of what whatever counts for witnessing uh, we get anxious because um, we sometimes imagine that we're taking God places where God has not been and the good news is there is no such place. Okay. There, there just is no such place. So we're always simply joining God's already begun work, which takes a lot, ought to take a little bit of the pressure off of us. Uh, if Philip thought he was taking God, to the Ethiopian eunuch. That might have been a heavy thing. Like, what would they know about God in Ethiopia? Well, it turns out that this guy knew quite a bit about God, uh, an extraordinary amount about God. He was seeking God fervently. He just needed a little help. That's a much different thing to think about. Um, and that's probably where most of us are. And, and that's important. We start to, we're talking the, during Lent about what really matters. And what really matters is to be clear about who you are and who other people are. Um, this man was beloved of God. God goes to extraordinary lengths to meet this man. I mean, God orchestrates like a private tutorial with the B team for sure, but still the lengths to which God goes to honor this man's seeking is extraordinary. This man is beloved of God even though all the signals that he got probably when he was in Jerusalem was that he wasn't enough. He wasn't enough. So there's something important here for us as we continue through Lent and we try to sort through what matters. Uh, I got an email from a, as it turns out, from a good friend of mine last night. She's a single mother with a teenage daughter, a student of mine years ago. Uh, she has a lot of struggles, all kinds of, she struggles with mental health, she struggles with being a mom. Uh, she's a beautiful woman, very bright. Um, 
but she emailed me last night to say, I just, I just wanted to tell you that I'm doing something that I never imagined I would do. She said, um, well, two things, actually. She said, I got my nose pierced today. <laughs> she said, I wasn't, she said, I always kind of wanted to do it. She said, it's really tiny, you wouldn't even notice it. Um, she said, I was thinking about it, and I told my son, and he said, go for it, Mom. So I did. She says, but now, the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to get a tattoo. Now, I know that a lot of us are from a generation where that just seems still, like, so bizarre. But she went on to tell me something that was so incredibly beautiful. She said, what I'm going to do, she says, I'm going to uh, get one of my friends to write out the word in their own handwriting. One of my best friends. I'm going to get them to write out the word beloved. And I'm going to have it tattooed on my right wrist where I can see it. And I need to know this, this woman has struggles with self-injury. She said, so every time I shake someone's hand, I want to see it. Every time I'm tempted to self-injury, I want to see it. That my identity is as someone who is beloved of God. And I want to be reminded of that scores of times a day. She said, I think that's really important to me. I thought that was so beautiful. I thought if I had to get a tattoo, if you had to get a tattoo, good for you. <laughs> uh, what a beautiful thing. And it got me to thinking last night and this morning, um, what if every time I met another person, whether it was someone in church with whom I had a dis deep disagreement, uh, every time I saw my neighbor whose political views I cannot figure out? Um, what if every time I saw my uh, person that I work with who I find obnoxious, that I imagined on their wrist they had the word beloved? Because it matters who you think you are. And it matters who you think other people are. And as we sort through what matters, it's important to start with what really matters. And that really matters. I am beloved of God. And so are you. And if we would start there, that would matter. Let's pray. <clears throat> Gracious God, we give you thanks for your word that challenges and inspires us as we continue along our pilgrim path through Lent, we pray that you would continue to remind us what really matters. 
And on this day, we ask especially that you would remind us of our own identity, our deepest identity, that we are your beloved children, that everyone we meet, no matter who they are, no matter who the world has told them who they are, no matter who they think they are, that they are indeed your beloved. And may that truth matter to us as we interact with them and they with us. And may we be open to what they may teach us, just as this God-seeker who you were seeking changed Philip. We pray this through the one through whom we know most clearly that we are your beloved, Jesus Christ. <clears throat>